Welcome back, everyone, to MX Asian American. Today we have Rena as our guest. Do you want to introduce yourself first? Yes. Hi, everybody. My name is Rena. I am a ballerina turned product designer. Um, by day, I am a full time product designer at Mooch, which is a fintech startup in the crypto DeFi space. And then by night, I'm probably editing some YouTube videos for my channel on the side where I blog my life in tech. Um, and on the weekends, I try to maintain my ballerina side of me. But yeah, that's pretty much it. Very, very excited to be here. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, yeah, when I saw your post, I was like, wow, such an interesting person because I'm always interested in like um, this idea of trying to balance like, what your hobby or like people are really caught up with like, I want to do my hobby as my entire career um, and things like that. So I'm really interested in people who like um, have a balance between like two totally different types of careers or like doing two things that are totally different um like you like being a full-time ballerina and then being also a full-time um product designer so um I wanted to dig a little bit into that um so to start just like tell us a little bit about how and where you grew up yeah so um I guess I consider myself a third culture kid. I was born in Singapore, but I grew up most of my life in New York, but I am of Japanese ethnicity. So mm -hmm. kind of grew up all over the place. Um, so that's also part of like my personal branding, I would say as well. But I guess um, as for how I grew up in terms of like ballet and everything, I started of course in Singapore where I was born. I started when I was five and then I moved to New York around uh, 10 when I was 10 years old and then I started training professionally when I was around 12 years old so that's when I decided that I wanted to pursue a career in ballet um, from there I attended a performing arts high school in New York and then I went I moved out of state um, to attend a ballet college conservatory in a university um, and then fast forward two years later, that's when I signed my uh, first contract with a European ballet company. So that's kind of like a huge um, an overall gist of my ballet background. Um, and then a year later after my contract, uh, that's when I transitioned fully into tech. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. You just have that done, but that's an <laughs> overview. <laughs> No, that's incredible. I think um, being a third culture kid, I think one thing you have to really be good at is like um, to be really adaptable, right? Because like mm -hmm. you have to move around a lot, um, but also like trying to negotiate like what does it mean to belong in this city versus that, um, mm -hmm. things like that. And I'm seeing like the one thread that's like kind of continuous is like you doing ballet in different like even though like you're geographically changing, um, but you still like are doing ballet. And mm -hmm. you said like at 12, um, you started pursuing professionally, like what kind of um, influenced you uh, to do so? What influenced me to pursue this professionally? Yeah. Yeah, so I really think, um, thinking out loud, my first, like the biggest influence I had in my ballet career was my ballet teacher um, that I met in New York. Um, 
it's like literally no words can express my appreciation and like gratitude for her she was like a second mom I trained with her for about seven years I would say before moving out of state to um, the conservatory but that's um but I would say she literally trained me from zero to a hundred <laughs> um because in Singapore you know I just did this for fun um I just did that like baby ballet classes and <laughs> I thought I wanted to pursue um ballet as a career like I had slight thoughts when I was in, mm. when I was still like seven years old around then <laughs> I don't know how serious I was but I, I remember like really enjoying the feeling I had when I was performing on stage mm. I looked back at my old videos and I'm just like what are you doing but, <laughs> but the feeling was there <laughs> the feeling is there um because I still remember it even now um but it's it, but after I moved to New York, I would say that the influence and just the determination to go professional increased a lot more after meeting my ballet teacher. And, af and I think also just being in New York City, you know, having mm. all these big ballet companies around me and just going to ballet performances and watching American Ballet Theater, New York City Ballet, and just having these big open classes studios around me like steps on broadway broadway dance center it's literally like the center of the arts i think that also plays a big influence as for my inspiration into professional ballet mm. um so what would you say like the biggest like difference um it was like transitioning into like kind of doing it professionally rather than like as a hobby mm. well I think so I didn't I, I wouldn't be able to so I wouldn't be able to answer this question if I was still doing ballet full time but because ballet I do consider ballet as my hobby now just because mm. I am working full time in tech mm -hmm. so I kind of I have a good answer for your question now but I wouldn't be able to answer this maybe like two years before uh, but I think the biggest difference would definitely be I think ironically enough my my happiness increased um which I would have never expected wow. I think it yeah no it's really funny but I think it's also because the ballet industry can get very competitive and sometimes mm. a little toxic at times it's a very it's a very competitive industry and I think you know casting um stereotypes body images things things of that mm -hmm. sort of topics can mm -hmm. play a really huge toll on your mental health and um a lot of auditions packed people in auditions every year mm -hmm. i can go on about this topic but after i started looking at ballet as a genuine hobby and something as a passion near and dear to my heart that's when i literally I think my my happiness for for ballet just increased and mm -hmm. I just feel so much happier dancing just because I'm not competing for a role I'm not mm. stressed about if a director is looking at me I'm mm. not I'm not stressed if anybody is judging me mm. uh, because I'm doing this for me like I'm mm. not I don't want to go to a company anymore I don't want to I don't really care 
who's watching. I just want to dance for me because when I go to ballet classes, that's going to be, that's nice. That's like kind of like my self-care now. It's my self-care mm -hmm. routine to just dance and just connect with the music. Um, so I think, yeah, that's the biggest difference is. Oh, I think that's really that. great. I love it. Yeah. So um, educate me a little bit about like, <laughs> what's the usual like trajectory in um, the ballet profession? Like once you start training, like what are, what are you um, aiming to do? Like once you get to a certain level, like I know you talked about auditions and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. And then you eventually did go to a conservatory. So yeah, so um, where do I start with this? Oh, so basically in the ballet industry, you have to start out really young. There mm. are some cases where people start pretty late and that is honestly still respectable. Um, but usually I would say 80% of ballerinas start out around age of three, age of five. From there, um, you start going to a lot of ballet competitions um, where you compete for a scholarship for a summer program or a scholarship for an apprenticeship or just a scholarship to get your foot in the door. Um, and every summer, I kid you not, every summer, everybody had to go to a summer program because that's gonna be part of their resume. Wow. And so summer vacation wasn't a thing for us. Like I did not know how summer vacation with friends really looked like just because mm -hmm. my image of a summer vacation was going to a ballet program. And it's not like this was a chore. Like I genuinely was very excited for summer every year. But after I left Valley, I'm like, wow, I actually did that every year. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> because now I look at summer break and I'm like, wait <laughs> so many things we can do but I went to the summer program every year yeah but that's that's um the main goal if you're in your teen years um and a lot of people strive for that big name companies because mm. it's going to be on your resume mm -hmm. so for me an in instance I went to Ellison Ballet I went to Vasiliev Ballet and I went to my local ballet studios um so that's for my background, but there are a lot of people who go to like Royal Ballet for summer. They, they go overseas, they go to Europe, they go to just big name companies. And that's, that's also how you can kind of get your foot in the door. Um, from there, you know, you'll be really lucky if you get a scholarship and they invite you to become a full-time student. If not, you can just go back to your local ballet studio and just keep trying. But at around age 16, that's when the competition gets really <laughs> peak. <laughs> like mm. that's the peak age in ballet where people strive to get into a studio company or an apprenticeship. Um, and if that doesn't go through, uh, well, I wouldn't really say it like that. They, people who are age 16, they have two options. They could either go 100% on company auditions or they could go half and half and audition for both companies as well as conservatories. I did both um, because the big debate here also is if ballerinas should pursue a college degree. There's huge debate if, um, 
it's it's pretty controversial like honestly I think it just comes down to personal preference Mm. but I would say at when I was growing up there was a lot of like stereotypes where if a ballerina goes to college she's not she's not serious about her ballet career and Mm. that is so far from the truth because Mm. when I look at it from an outside view right now not being in the competitive ballet industry anymore it really comes down to personal preferences like there's such thing as pursuing multiple interests Mm. but when I was still in the competitive ballet industry I always thought that it was either go all in or nothing Mm -hmm. so that's why when I decided to go the college route I kind of felt a little like guilty even though like being able to pursue a college degree is so like I was you know definitely (laughs) very much of a privilege um, but, you know, I think it's kind of a, a little bit shamed on, on the ballet industry. Maybe, I would say controversial again, but, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's just something that was talked about among like my friend groups and the, the groups I was in, but really it comes down to personal preference, I would say. But after, um, college for me, that's also when you would start auditioning for, companies you know some people also choose to go to college because they want more years training Um, because if you do go to a college conservatory depending on the conservatory you go to there are strict programs where they train you as how a studio company would train you Mm. Um, so it could be comparable in that in that way Um, but yeah after that it's really audition 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 until you get a role in the company so the end goal is really to get a contract and that's why I I always say it's so ironic because after I got that contract that's when I wanted to leave um so I guess I really don't know what the end goal is here for, <laughs> for this but that's basically the overall average um journey for a ballet wow that sounds yeah. so stressful <laughs> like what a hustler <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, so, yeah. Um, why did you choose to go the college route? I'm going to be totally honest here. Like, companies are very competitive, and mm. I didn't audition for a lot of companies, and also I'm not really a prodigy or anything. So, like, I wasn't able to get a spot in a company when I was six, when I was 17. Um, so I entered college at 17, um, and I strictly tried to find a very strict ballet program with only a, with a classical repertoire. Um, Mm. so that's when I decided on the college I went to, which is the university of Cincinnati. I really liked their repertoire program. They did a lot of classical ballet, full length ballet programs. And I thought that was going to set me up for success for Mm -hmm. my future in a company just because um i think you also have to be very versatile in classical repertoires as well as versatile in classical versus contemporary styles so that's when i that's how i made my decision to go to the conservatory i chose to go and also i think being able to pursue other topics um it's not like i wanted to like go full-time into another subject but I did want to kind of 
get a feel for campus life, get a feel for other industries and just see how college life is. So that's mm. how I um, made my decision. Cool. What did you decide to major in college? So I was a full-time ballet major, uh, but because I did also want to explore other interests, I took elective classes in Japanese, film, and design, ironically. So very wow. happy I made that decision and <laughs> went with my gut. <laughs> okay. Um, and then uh, moving on the timeline a little bit more, you got accepted um, into a company. Um, and then you said it was like a year later or some, or two years later, they decided to pivot. Oh, yeah. I decided to pivot a year later. Okay. Why? Um, what happened in that year? <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, well, there's a lot of things that happened. I would say because I moved to a foreign country um, uh-huh. at a very young age, at 19 years old. Wow, that's um, crazy. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of external factors as mm-hmm. well as internal. Um, I think some of that, some of the things on the list would be, you know, navigating a foreign country without speaking a local language put a lot of pressure on me. Um, but the biggest thing I would say is um, I got an injury while I was in the company and I never thought that injuries would be able to stop me because, you know, ballerinas are full of injuries. But I think this one in particular was a very mysterious injury. I, I've, I was dealing with some pain when I first entered the company out of nowhere. So I thought it was because it was the increase in my schedule because I was dancing every day, literally from, I would, I think 9 or 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. full day. Oh my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah with, with one lunch break in the middle. <laughs> um, and also like just rehearsal, looking at rehearsals, but one lunch break. Um, and also I think maybe like lack of nutrients or something. I, I, I'm not so sure. It was a couple of years ago, but I think that, so when I was dealing with some pain, um, I didn't know the reason because I didn't really hurt myself or anything. I, so I just thought it was just an increase in ballet schedule. So I kind of held on to it and then the pain started increasing. And that's when I um, started going to hospitals. Um, and that's also when the pressure of the being a foreigner in a country you don't know happened because no doctor spoke English <laughs> and what? I had to yeah no doctor spoke English I still remember the trauma and that like wow I I don't even know how I did that because I honestly looking back I would not be able to do that right now I I only knew very little Spanish and I was alone <laughs> with the doctor trying to explain to him my injury and my pain but Somehow the conversation, <laughs> the, the conversation like was was understandable. I don't know how with my very little knowledge of Spanish, but it was a it was a combination of a Google Translate as well as my growing Spanish skills, I guess. But yeah, 
um, even though the, the doctor started understanding me, nobody could give me a diagnosis. Like nobody knew what this injury was. And I took an MRI and I took all the scans he can think possible and nothing could be detected on my body, which was the weirdest part. Yeah, I, I don't know how or why till this day. Um, after I came back to New York, New York, a Chinese doctor told me maybe some sort of a diagnosis, but in the end, I had no official diagnosis for this injury that I was suffering for a couple months, which put a lot of, you know, sadness and stress onto me, not knowing what was next for my ballet career. And I think just a combination of that, as well as just the industry in general, not knowing how, how long I could sustain onto this career, um, even though it was literally my like true love. <laughs> um, but I think just that uncertainty, that stress on a very young age and just, yeah, not knowing what to expect really made me think as to what my future could look like. Mm. And I remember one day sitting in my my little bedroom in Spain, in my Spain apartment, I was thinking about my future and I was like, what if I decided to not pursue ballet anymore? And just that thought itself, like made just my tears just started falling. <laughs> I was like, Rena, don't even say that. Like, don't you ever say that. I, I, I was being very hard on myself from a very young age, I think. And because, you know, ballet is a very, um, I, I consider myself very privileged to be even like given the opportunity to pursue ballet. And this would have never happened without the support of my family as my as well as my friends and my teachers so when i started getting that feeling i was like no rena you can't think about that because so many people invested in you like you can't mm. bring that down especially after you signed that dream contract like mm. what are you doing so it took me it took me a couple of months of thinking and I didn't even tell my parents. I didn't tell my best friends. It was literally just me and my thoughts. So <laughs> it was it was a pretty harsh couple of months. I still remember because I was you know growing up, mm -hmm. ballet was the only thing I've ever dreamt about. Like mm -hmm. I could not imagine myself anything other than ballet. Like I very much remember that. So I think. I was also very scared. I was like, I don't know anything outside the ballet world. How am I gonna, how am I gonna, you know, survive? You know, I spent 20 years in this field. I don't know anything. I don't have any hard skills in anything else other than dancing. So it was a lot of emotions. I definitely wow. remember. Yeah. Do you still have that pain from the mysterious injury or are you good? It's funny because when I first moved to New York, it stopped hurting a little, but when it was raining, it started hurting again. And I'm like, am I becoming a grandma right now? Like, what is happening? Because I stopped dancing when I came back to New York because I was just 
honestly very traumatized by everything that happened. I didn't mm-hmm. want to step foot in a studio. I didn't want to dance. So I wasn't even dancing, but the injury was still there, especially on rainy days. You know, know my mom has the same like symptom, like um, (laughs) whenever the weather's not good, like her bones just hurt. (laughs) Her body just like, she's like, yeah, my body's in weather forecast. (laughs) I, I know. Yeah. That's why when I told this to my friends, they're like, these are grandma symptoms and I'm like oh no what am I gonna do am I like doomed but yeah so that's very funny um but fast forward like uh, like a year later um I stopped feeling them only except when I would stand for too long or Mm -hmm. sit for too long I just need to like move around Mm -hmm. but other than that it stopped And then last year, I reunited with ballet classes. I started going to ballet classes. It hurt a little bit at first, but I would say now I'm at a pretty good spot. I still don't know what the diagnosis is, but, you know, in the end, I'm I'm alive. (laughs) My leg is still (laughs) intact with my body. So that's all I can Mm -hmm. ask for. Um, Yeah, well, thank you for sharing such like a hard um, journey. And like how you said, like the decision to um, not pursue ballet professionally was really hard. And I bet there was like a lot of guilt like associated with that, like letting down everybody, like you said, and even like letting yourself down because that's what you thought you wanted for yourself the entire time. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So what influenced you to go into um, the product design field or like what did you do after quitting like leaving the company yeah so that part's also it was it's a very bouncy road (laughs) I I had like a it's not even a midlife crisis or a quarter life crisis (laughs) so I was like 20 years old but it was something like that it was a crisis Yeah, it was a crisis. I didn't know what I wanted to do just because as I mentioned, Valley was everything I dreamt of and no other occupation ever went in like, ever, you know, went inside my imagination, my dreams, anything like that. So I was really confused. I was really lost. Um, And that was when I started just exploring everything. I was like, let me just take a hit on every class possible, every industry possible. And that was also when the pandemic started becoming more serious. Um, So that's when like lockdown happened and everybody was in their houses. So the the amount of webinars going on also increased, which, uh, you know, was very, you know, lucky for me, it was good timing, I guess, in that sense, because I had the opportunity to learn from my house and from my and from my room um so that's when I started taking advantage of all these like free webinars free online classes and just take a hit on everything possible so I remember taking classes in like Spanish and like Japanese I remember tackling some coding classes like intro to HTML CSS I also oh I did a lot of like business classes I tried you know, finance stuff. I tried marketing. I just took a lot of like intro to 
XYZ classes just to get a feel for every other industry. And that's when I stumbled upon user experience design. And that really stood out to me because ever since I was little, I really liked getting to my creative side and design really intrigued me and fascinated me. So I still remember like in middle school, I would come home and I would want to just use my hands to create something. So I was always into like clay, scrapbooking, like I tried illustrations, graphic design, just as a hobby. I never took classes, but that's always what I wanted to explore in my free time after ballet classes. So when I saw that user experience design had that terminology of design in their term, I was like, I don't know what user experience like <laughs> is. I don't know what UX UI stands for, but I want to learn about this because it's something related to design. So that's when I started you know, reading articles, um, looking at classes, look, well, dipping my feet a little into the industry by taking free classes first. And I'm like, this is really interesting. Like I could, I could get it. It's, it was very much surface level information just because it was free classes, but I remember being very fascinated in them. And that's when I, you know, I was like, I want to invest in this. I just want to see if this is meant for me just because I like what they're talking about. I love how deep it got with the psychology, with like the human interactions, with technology, that relationship between design and technology. Um, so I was like, this is, this is some interesting stuff. So that's when um, I decided to tackle a court, uh, tackle a boot camp in Career Foundry and decided to do a year long. Um, UX UI program. Um, and then after that, I did some internships and kind of grew my skills from there. Awesome. <laughs> I love how like you um, took the initiative to be like, oh, I want to try everything kind of thing. Because um, a lot of times like young people that I talk to now, I say that as if I'm not young, um, but uh, like my peers, everybody's like, oh my God, I want to do so many things. Like they have so many interests and mm -hmm. they feel like, I don't know, one life is not enough for them to pursue everything they want to do. Um, so I really like how you like dipped your toes in like everything and wanted to try everything. Um, so after like starting work um, in UX design, how slash when did you like want to incorporate ballet back into your life? It was definitely a, a debate I was having with myself as well. I was like, when should I go back or when am I okay? <laughs> um, I definitely know the first year was still very traumatizing. So I couldn't go back to ballet classes. Um, I stopped like watching ballet videos and all of that as well and stopped listening to like classical music and all of that I remember. But I think honestly, like being in tech and being able to explore my creative side again, digitally also, um, and just explore and to be able to find a career that I'm genuinely like, I genuinely love just that privilege, you know, you know, being able to find a career other than ballet that I love. Like it, it meant so much to me and it definitely brought me so much happiness as well. So I really think that that helped with me reuniting with ballet too. So a, 
a couple months after I accepted my full my first full time job, um, I went ahead and I booked my first reun reunion ballet class. It was a beginner ballet classes, so I was um, not doing anything extreme. But I remember that first class. I felt so happy. Like I I don't even know what it is. I just being able to move my body along with music that just hit hard for me like it hit home um and I, I think my body just felt very peaceful so yeah I think I'm just very grateful for for everything and just being able to have two industry that fulfill me to the core very blessed <laughs> that's all I gotta say yeah, no, I, I love that for you. Um, I think a lot of people talk about this, or I've heard people talk about this, is like when people turn their hobbies into their careers, at some point they start to like dislike mm -hmm. doing their hobby because of all the external pressures. Um, and then it becomes like not fun anymore um, because like you have to do it at a certain level or a certain way um, or like in your case, like compete and everything like that. Um, so then like, I feel like your arc is more of like, you have found your way back into like enjoying the things that you like actually enjoying doing ballet. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I love that for you. <laughs> and like yeah. one of my fears also is like, wow, what if like I turn my hobby into my career and then I hate it? <laughs> I mean, you never know. It <laughs> might love it true yeah. true now that um you are at the stage of your life how have you tried to kind of like balance your full-time career with like doing ballet like you said in the beginning of the show like you do so many things like you have your youtube channel and then like you also have a full-time career i haven't even talked about the youtube channel yet and then you also do ballet in the weekends. Like, when do you rest? <laughs> it, we have all the time in the world. You just have a lot of editing to do, I guess. <laughs> a lot about this. But, um, okay, lots of questions in, in that one. Um, but let's, let's see. So, of course, my full-time career comes first priority. Definitely. I always make it a priority to take at least once uh, one ballet class a week. Um, if possible, I wanna do more, but just to get the routine going, I definitely book it once a week. And that usually happens during the weekend. Um, it's funny, cause I also take class with um, one of my childhood uh, teachers. She's known me since I was like 14 years old. So that's very nice, but yeah, so once a week ballet classes, um, full-time career, week, weekdays, uh, first priority. And YouTube channel is, honestly, my YouTube channel is pretty, like, very small. So there's no, like, pressure yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, I, I like the yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 like, not, not in that way, but, like, I think, you know, I, I hear YouTubers have a lot of like pressure in terms of like, um, just because they have a lot of following, but <laughs> I, I don't really have that much following. So I am like lucky in that, in that sense. Um, 
but my motivation behind my YouTube channel is honestly more so a documentary for myself. Like I started doing um, YouTube when I was a sophomore in college and that's way before, and that's before I wanted, like that's before my career changed. So like, I just did it for fun, mm -hmm. but looking back at those videos, like I, I can kind of relive my ballet, ballet memories. And that's mm -hmm. what I really appreciate about my YouTube channel. Um, so honestly, it's kind of like a sentimental memory time capsule for me. So as much as, you know, editing can be really like time consuming at times, I, I think future me will really appreciate it if I just click that publish button, to be honest. Like, <laughs> you know, like, honestly, numbers can get to you sometimes, like if you like worked really hard on like a video, like your creation and you put it out there, you're like making yourself vulnerable and like putting yourself out there and there's like low views, like sometimes it can really take a toll on you. But I try to look at it in like the bigger picture and say like, hey, Rena, like look at your videos like two years ago or three years ago, like, and <laughs> like those, those videos make me really happy. And I'm like, oh, this, this was when I was, you know, trying to audition for companies. This was before I moved to Spain. This was when I was still in college with my friends, with my roommates. It makes me smile. So what I started doing my YouTube channel is I renamed all those ballet videos into a playlist called Ballerina Diaries. And the videos that I'm uploading right now, I name, I put them into a playlist called Life and Tech Diaries. So basically the motivation, the goal behind that playlist is to honestly update myself on my, <laughs> my journey into tech. Like I am currently at a startup that I love I love my coworkers. I love our mission. I love everybody there. I love the product that we're building and I'm learning so much at the same time. So what I'm trying to do with my videos is I'm updating myself on what my goal is, like what my weekly goal is, what projects I'm tackling. Of course, there's things such as like confidential and privacy things. So <laughs> of course I don't show that, but in terms of like vague stuff, like, okay, I'm working on research and data this week, or I'm working on this presentation that I'm pitching to the company this week, or I'm learning a new skill this week, like those small things, I think, um, will make me really happy once, you know, a year or two goes by and I'm like, oh, this was when, you know, I was <laughs> working on this and learning this new skill. So honestly, I think it's like a, a career like journey documentary for me to be honest mm. and that's why I think my whole niche of my YouTube channel is just a ballerina in tech navigating her 20s <laughs> like my life <laughs> and maybe in the future who knows you'll have like a totally different playlist for something else <laughs> you never know <laughs> life you never know what life can bring to you <laughs> um well thank you so much um mm -hmm. I have no more questions for you, um, but thank you. I loved our conversation. Um, so if listeners want to find you, where can they find you online? 
Yeah, so I have an Instagram at Rina Takikawa, so it's just my first and last name, and my YouTube channels at Rina Taki, so it's R-I-N-A-T-A-K-I. Um, I have a Twitter that I post a little bit here and there, just like my brain dump thoughts. It's <laughs> Rina X Takikawa, so that's that. And I also have a LinkedIn too, if you want to connect professionally. <laughs> my awesome. Friend. I will link everything in the show notes. So, so much. Yeah, thank you so fun. much. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was fun for me. me.